This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. And we are back, folks. Another edition of the Michigan Basketball Insider and a place that we had hoped not to be. At this point, anyway, uh, talking about the end of the season, but here we are as Michigan fell in the Elite Eight, 51-49 to to UCLA, joining me as he does every single week, every single episode, to talk Michigan basketball is a guy who wore the uniform in standout fashion, went on to be a first-round draft pick, and of course, in his uh, post-playing career, is one of the top college and pro basketball analysts around. I'm talking about my friend Tim McCormick. Tim, how are you, man? I'm in a little bit of a funk, Sam got to be honest with you i um i had such high expectations for this team and there's always going to be sadness and reflection and disappointment especially as a player or coach but but that ucla game was crushing for all of us that have enjoyed this team so much it's been one of my favorite teams of all time as a matter of fact because i know the sacrifice they've endured uh, the the adversity they've overcome basketball excellence that they displayed was was really inspiring and and we also got to know the team through the podcast you know think about we uh we interviewed zay and austin davis and eli and brandon and mike and shondi um the freshmen were were guests we talked to the coaches and there's a hole and it's it's really hard to deal with um i had a chance to go to the game at, at lucas oil stadium and the fans were angry and they were yelling and they were frustrated with, with missed free throws and some, some poor games by key guys. And it just really made me think back to my last game of my NBA career. Um, Knicks versus Bulls, Eastern Conference semis. We lost a game seven to Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen uh, in Chicago at the stadium. And I remember feeling a sadness and disappointment that, you know, I had, I had never experienced before. And I remember back to that season with the Knicks, which was really grueling and emotional. And, and I had a sinking suspicion that my NBA career may be over. And it was just, you know, by, by, by watching the fans and imagining what the Michigan players were going through, I almost, it was like a visceral reaction where I was, you know, time machined back to, to, to being an NBA player. And I, I also thought a lot about the, the last game of my high school career. We were in the state semis at Jenison Fieldhouse, and we lost by one to Highland Park. Um, our only loss of the season, we were 26-1. and one. It was a one-point game, and there was a numbness that's hard to imagine. And so, um, you know, that makes me sad, too, that the, the players have to experience that and the coaches have to experience that. But when, when you've got big dreams and you don't get there, it's, it's, really, it's really pretty difficult. Yeah, I think one of the things that made it uh, even more so is because, and this is not taking anything away from UCLA when I say this, so please uh, understand that I want to give UCLA Mick Cronin a ton of credit. Let me just start off doing it. Johnny Juzang was tremendous. He was the best player on the floor in that game. And Mick Cronin, I'm a firm believer in that 
majority of teams uh, when it comes to their tendencies, how they play, especially on the defensive end. They are what they were during the course of the season. It is very hard to remake yourself and to be something different, to to dial in and play that end of the floor at a level far beyond what you did in regular season. He's been able to do that with UCLA, so I'll give him credit. But Michigan is a better team than UCLA. <laughs> Michigan is no doubt. Michigan is no flat doubt. out a better team than UCLA. It took Michigan having empty trips to the free throw line. It took them being what thirteen or of twenty five or twenty six on layups. You know, around the I mean, you know plays around the rim that they just hadn't made. They turned the basketball over at a level that they uh, didn't normally turn it over. At. You had so many of those factors, and then you had for Franz maybe his worst game as a Wolverine. So you had a convergence of all of those things that lent itself to UCLA winning that game. And that's not me saying UCLA didn't deserve to win. They absolutely did. But what makes it tough as, a, you know, as someone who loves Michigan, and I'm sure you feel the same way, as much as they put into this season, as dialed in as they were as players and coaches, they, it wasn't just a bad game. It was an epically bad game for them. Uh, and that is what it took for UCLA to win that contest. I agree with you. I, I never felt like UCLA was a better team, but they definitely deserved to win. Um, I, I thought UCLA was excellent. Um, they were better than I thought. And they play like Wisconsin to me, half court basketball, great transition defense. Michigan never got into a fast break flow, uh, low turnovers, and no easy shots on defense. Mick Cronin was one of the top defensive coaches at Cincy. Mm-hmm. They contest everything. And and they're pretty balanced. Five Bruins over double figures. And Johnny Juzang is an NBA player. He, he could be really good. I remember all the time I spent trying to reach out to him to get him at the top 100 camp. And so, and I never did. And, and, and so I know he was highly, high, highly recruited. And it's got a chance to be a standout pro to, to do what he did on the biggest stage. Um, and, and he lit up Eli Brooks and Shondi Brown and Franz Wagner on a consistent basis. There was nothing they could do. They kept switching um, guys on him. Sometimes they trailed screens. Sometimes they shot the gap. There was nothing that you could do with that guy. And when I think about the defense of Mick Cronin, Got to be honest, big upsets are usually really low-scoring games. If you don't score 50, your margin for error is minimally small. Um, and and so M lost the, the turnover game for sure. That was an issue, right? 14-8. to eight. Um, UCLA this year, 14-0 and 0 with single-digit turnovers. That, that's, that's pretty darn good. Um, also, Smith and Wagner, 2 for 17 from the field. Mm-hmm. Right. That's that's really telling two for 17. And then when you have three shots to win the game, I'm not sure if the guys that are two for 17 are the guys you want shooting the ball there. Right. Mm -hmm. Like like I would have felt a lot more comfortable having Shondi Brown or Eli Brooks shoot that ball. Not not saying that they would have made it, but that I would have felt a lot more comfortable with that. Yeah, I think you absolutely nailed it with that, Tim. I I think that. As we get deeper into it, you got to remember, not talking about you, uh, Tim, I'm talking about fans. You got to remember that this team, so much of what made it so good was that they they spread it out. It didn't you didn't have to allocate, hey, Franz or hey, Zay or 
hey, Sean D., hey, you got to go get it tonight. It was really, however the game, the flow of the game would determine who was going to lead them on a given night. But I always felt like, and I'm curious if you did, Tim, going back to the beginning of the year, you remember we were having those conversations out of the gate about Franz was having a tough go of it. And we were wondering, was he going to be able to find his scoring mark? Now, he did. He got better. You could really see he's an outstanding two-way player. There were times where he could shoulder the load offensively, but it wasn't a requirement game in, game out. And it just felt like there was going to come a time where they were going to need to say, so-and-so, go get me a bucket. Like UCLA was able to do with Johnny Juzang. And you're right, they could do nothing with him in the first half. When the guy is going like that, I wonder what your coaches told you, Tim, or what your experience was. But I always say, if you if you can't stop a guy, make him stop you. Make him play some defense. I felt like in the first half, he wasn't stressed defensively. So Michigan did a good job, Eli Brooks particularly, specifically, in attacking him in the second half. I thought that was a factor. Of course, his ankle injury was as well. But still, down the stretch, they were able to give it to Johnny Juzang. He made a couple of plays down the stretch. And Michigan just didn't have that. Uh, In this contest, and to your point, as much as we talked about, hey, you know, you really need for Franz to be able to do this at some point, the way that game went, you know, that last shot, or at least the one coming out of the timeout when they were down one, I'm like you. I'm saying, hey, you come off that ball screen. I know they went under the screen. You still got to attack and enforce the issue. Maybe the ref calls a foul. If they don't, then kick it out to a guy like Shondi Brown who's having a, you know, a better shooting night than you. Yeah, it was – Boy, you, you brought up a lot. Um, first of all, you talked about, you know, when you've got a hot score, what do you do? I know in the NBA, a lot of old-time vets would say, you know, if somebody's going off on you, you knock them down and you stand over them and just let them know it's not going to happen anymore. Just give them something to think about. I know you're giving away some points in the short term, but I just think that that's the way that, that you know, Johnny Juzang, every single moment of that game felt he was the alpha dog. And, and just by knocking him down or giving a hard foul at some point, you're saying, I'm not taking it anymore. Um, in, in, term, in terms of, you know, offensively, I thought Michigan was tight. I'm not sure why, but they, they, they played tight right from the beginning. They had bad hands. There were, there were a number of balls that just flew out of bounds or went off their hands and were turnovers. They missed layups. They had no swagger. And, and also Michigan plays with great attention to detail it might be one of their number one strengths. And that's the primary reason they beat LSU and FSU two teams that might have had more athleticism and, and talent, but, but Michigan had that attention to detail. UCLA was just as good at the subtleties and, and like, like the matchup with Cody Riley against Hunter Dickinson, he took away all of Hunter's advantages. And we talked about this earlier in the year that when Hunter gets in the low post, he has to understand angles and get up higher than the block. If he just makes his post move at the block level, you can force him right into that corner of the backboard where he doesn't have the angle. It's a really hard shot. And, and so that's, that's scouting report right there. That, that was really, really good. Um, you also mentioned, Isaiah Livers. And throughout the year, we've talked about Franz a lot. And, and I think that, you know, we're both in the mutual admiration society. We think he's, he's really a special player, but he's special on the defensive end. And, and, and all year long, I think we both said, look, 
Michigan has a lot of good players. Isaiah Livers is their best player. Uh, you know, Hunter had huge games. Franz had huge games as well. But Isaiah Livers was their guy. And even if he had an off night, he had an off night because the other team had their best defensive player on him. They game planned against him. When Isaiah went out, Juwan never knew for sure who was going to step forward and be that, that guy. Isaiah Livers made it easier for Franz because the other team was more worried about him. And, and it showed up in the first three games of the NCAA, uh, NCAA tournament. Michigan had different leading scores every game. They just never knew. And, and they were good enough to overcome that. But that was, that was a massive blow, especially down the stretch when Michigan was 0 for 8. You know, they, they had some turnovers. They missed some layups. Isaiah Livers would have been that guy to make a shot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he would have definitely been the guy that you, you deferred to. But look, look, you know, Mick Cronin would say, hey, you know, our guy – our guy early in the season, it was supposed to be Chris Smith. Now, you know, Johnny Juzang yeah. had some had some good games early, but Chris Smith was the guy for them, or at least supposed to be the guy for them. And maybe it was because it happened early enough in the season for Juzang to emerge and Jaime Jaquez to really take his game up a notch or two. Uh, but they were without a significant piece as well. And they had a guy, especially in Juzang, who was able to grow into that role. And I think in fairness to Franz, you know, his game is still maturing. And I think that he has the potential to be that kind of player, that kind of guy who can be, as he gets more consistent shooting threes, especially uh, as he develops the left hand. I think he can be a guy who could carry you offensively for stretches, certainly it would be that way if he were to come back for his junior year. No one thinks that's going to happen. It's why I think, you know, in the NBA, he probably starts out as a G League guy, in my opinion. But in that situation, I want your opinion on this, Tim. You're coming off a ball screen. They go underneath the screen, and you are, what, one for eight at that point? Uh, And you're down one. Is it wrong to think, even with them going underneath the screen, that you drive drive the basketball in that situation? And – and make a play off the drive as opposed to to shooting a 25-footer? Well, at that point, I believe Michigan was in the bonus, and 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 Franz is a very, very solid free-throw shooter. Um, and and so I absolutely think at that point you drive. Make make the officials make a call, and, and there's a very good chance with his length and finishing ability that, that, that he can draw a foul and get a three-point play. So, Sam, I want to come clean on something regarding Franz. And I make this mistake all the time. And, and I get too excited about players. And it's one of the things that I have to constantly guard against when I'm being an, uh, an announcer. And, and I need more long-term perspective. Mm-hmm. And so let me share what I mean by that. I feel like with Franz, he's, he's one of those guys that throughout the year, I I've raved about his complete game. He's a good defensive player, man. He, he gets down low and he has long arms and, and he creates a lot of problems. He's a shot blocker. He's a ball mover. He's an excellent finisher, but only going to his right. Yep. So, so if I've got to be honest, the jump shot, which is a huge part of the game, especially in the NBA is just okay. Mm-hmm. If you ask him to shoot off the dribble, I think he's mediocre. 
and he needs to improve that. And at this point, it's going to take a lot of time and effort. He's got to keep adding strength. He's a superb athlete. He is a first-round draft pick based on his potential. I don't think you can argue about any of those things. But you know who he reminds me of? DJ Wilson, Jordan Poole, Iggy Brasdakis. Mm -hmm. And with all three of those guys, I said the exact same thing, that when you enter the NBA, you better be ready because there's a lot of games in a small number of days, and they don't have time to have you know, two and a half hour practices where half of it is on fundamentals and skill development and working on your shot, you better be ready to go because they expect you to be able to play, especially as a lottery pick. They're, they're making a big investment. And, and I don't want to see the, the, the future of Franz Wagner where he's kind of kicking around. Like Iggy Brasdakis, he spent most of his career in the G League and he has not had massive success and and dj wilson has been on a good team but he has not cracked the lineup at all and and all of a sudden those are the kind of guys where all of a sudden you think wow where where did he go you know did he already got cut from the league and and each of those guys are going to be multi-millionaires so you can't argue with it um but but you also have to think about charles matthews you know charles matthews had a knee injury and who knows where his career is going it, it, it's a very small window of time. You've got, you've got to try to maximize as much as you can. But I, I just, I really, I have hope that, that Franz can continue to develop his jump shot because that's the difference between him potentially being a starter in the league and a G League player. Mm-hmm. And it could work out. When, when I say I think he's going to start in the G League, I, I don't mean, I'm not suggesting at all. I don't think he can make it. I, I'm looking at a guy, like you mentioned, in Jordan Poole. You know, JP, first-round draft pick, but he had to go to the G League in order to get to the point where he is now, where it's like, man, you you look up, and they're talking about JP all the time. Like, he he feels like a piece of the future, but he had to get some more to his game. He had to add some more to his game uh, by spending some time in the G League, and it's it's working out for him. And I, I just feel like with what we see with France, to your point, you know, I, I remember at one point in the season he was shooting – 38, 39% from three, uh, end of the year, he's 34% from three. You got to be, if you're going to be a three and D guy, uh, you know, the three uh-huh. has to be a better you know, percentage than that. So he certainly yeah. has that potential, but I I come back to what I was saying before. You know, it, it was it was maybe me, I, I'll take, you know, I'll take it on the chin and take like maybe me not being a coach and not being, not coaching this team specifically, saying, hey, man, they need to be, you know, giving the ball to Franz and telling Franz to go get it more, emphasizing his offensive game more. They see him every day in practice. They know they they know where Franz is. And, and so there had to be a reason why they weren't pushing that to the extent that maybe I or we were talking about they needed to push it to. So that was another great, you know, I think Jawan Howard and this staff, I don't want you to comment on this as we get into the roster, Tim. I think Jawan Howard and this staff absolutely maximized the potential of this roster. This is this, this was a team that was as much the sum of its parts as any team that I've seen that that got to this level. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, and and before we go there, I, I don't. I want to be very clear for anybody that 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 tunes in and listens to this. I don't want anybody saying, "Oh, Sam and Tim were killing Franz, and they don't think he's a good player, and he's going to play in the G League." That's not what we're saying at all. We're saying that. 
that kudos to this guy because he's got so many skills and he does have the potential to be a starter in the NBA someday. But the, the one area of his development and when the lights were brightest in the Elite Eight, it really came to the forefront. He does not trust his shot. And that's something that he's got to keep working on and he's got to develop. And I hope he gets a chance to do that once he gets to the NBA. And also thank you for his two yeah, years in Michigan because he brought a lot of smiles to our faces. Yeah, I'm, I'm a huge Franz fan. Uh, and I think I just love the attitude. I love the demeanor that he plays with. It's one of the things I, I liked, uh, I loved about Mo. Uh, and it's one of the things that I really like about Franz. Do Mr. and Mrs. Wagner have any more kids? <laughs> I, I really need to check into that. Here's the thing, Tim, as we talk about this this roster turn, turnover, we both expect Franz uh, to be a first-rounder. What are you hearing about Isaiah where he's going to go in the draft? Yeah, I think he's borderline first-round, um, but his shooting ability, he, he's going to get a chance to to participate in a draft combine. And and I think that he will be um, very late first-round. And, and with his character and shooting ability, typically the 27, 28, 29, 30 pick, Mm-hmm. are really good teams that, that are looking for substance, and you can build off what he does. I think he's an NBA player, and I do think he will be in, in the first round. Right. So those are your high draft picks for Michigan. Mm-hmm. Now you're, you got to get into talking about the, the seniors, the guys who could use COVID shirts. Do you? I like that. Yeah. I've never heard that. That's yeah, good. yeah, they could use COVID shirts, uh, but highly unlikely that they all do. What's your forecast for Shondi Brown? What are you hearing about him at this point? Wow, that's great because I was going to ask you. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and when I think about Shondi, it, it's it's one of the big reasons for the emotional pain that we feel at the end of the season because it's inevitable that some guys that you really like and appreciate are going to move on. And it may happen with coaches as well. Our, our assistant coaches are going to be highly coveted. Um, so, so who knows what next year looks like? I think that, that Sean D Brown um, and Eli Brooks and Mike Smith, I think all three of them return. You do. I, I, wow. I do. I think wow. all three of them. Um, I, I don't, I don't look at any of the three as, what you would call a, an international high earner where, you know, they could go over and make multiple hundred thousand dollar salaries. Um, I, I think that especially with Sean D Brown, um, you know, I think he can build off what he experienced. I think he was on the periphery of the university of Michigan this year. Yeah. He was a student, but I, I think you get a little glimpse of what makes the university special he spent all of his time at Chrysler Center, mm-hmm. and and I I wouldn't be surprised if next fall he wants to walk across the diag. He wants to go into the, the undergraduate library and study. He wants to you know go go to the restaurants and and go to a football game and experience all that. It wouldn't surprise me, and I have not heard anything. But I'm just saying, why wouldn't you want to come back? And 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 they got they got really far. But I think those guys came here to get to a Final Four, and they didn't quite get to their goal. So I, I say I think all three of them come back. Um, and and I, I, I would ask Austin Davis back too, but I, I know that there's a, lot of, there's a lot of talent at that position. It may be difficult, but you know, when you look into your crystal ball, Sam, what do you think about the future of those three? 
of all the predictions that you've you've made, uh, if there are a few that I I have more hope for you being right uh, than this one. This is one though that I think it's more more my wish, <laughs> more my basketball prayer, uh, if you will, than maybe so the handicap it. Sam. Yeah, so handicap. I I, I think most likely the most likely to return I think is Eli Brooks. Okay. I, I think that you talk about a guy who. In his cycle, in his in the cycle of his career, this would be his fifth year. You talk about a guy who, you know, as you look at his um, pro prospects, I think you nailed it. I think it's pretty clear that it's, you know, not going to be a high earner in that regard. There's some talk that he has some some coaching aspirations, which makes sense being the son of a coach. I think all of those things lend themselves to him, uh, you know, taking a fifth year. Whereas a guy like Mike Smith, you know, you, you got your you got your final year in the cycle already. You could see him maybe being done, maybe wanting to explore professional endeavors, even if it's not in the in the basketball sector. Uh, and then with with Shawnee Brown, I just I, I think he's ready to take a shot at the NBA. Uh, hmm. I think I, I think wow. that he's going to be now. He's a three and D guy. <laughs> I mean, that's, yeah. he has that right now, and I think that that's. That's something that can get him on an NBA roster uh, next year. So uh, just reading some of the tea leaves, it was not a discussion that was ongoing while they were playing. Uh, but just, you know, feeling some guys out, what I was hearing was they didn't expect, they didn't expect, you know, all those guys to come back. Uh, the only one that addressed it publicly late, and it was probably because he came in front of the media, was Eli Brooks. And Eli said he's talked it over with his family uh, they are still pondering what the best move would be. Uh, it's still up in the air. So he sounded really, really open to the idea. We heard similar from Mike Smith, but just you know, listening to some of the guys on the team, I just got the impression that they weren't optimistic about it. So that's not a definite he won't come back. I'll just relay to you that I wasn't getting much in the way of optimism uh, about him specifically or about the majority of those guys coming back. Interesting. And, and to add a footnote, I, I I think Eli is the most likely as well. I would tell Mike Smith that, you know, your your job is to get us to a final four and Frankie Collins needs a mentor and role model. And and I and I, I, I would really promote that. And with Shondi Brown, I would tell him, look, this is your year. You're gonna you're gonna be an all Big Ten player. You're gonna start the whole year at my shooting guard position and 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 I'm I'm going to teach you how to be a go to guy. And I, I could see that happening. I love his defense. Man, that guy's tough. Mm-hmm. He's long. He's active. He's he's everything that I like in a defender. And I think the next step is for him to be able to put the ball on the floor, to have a little mid-range game. Um, I, so that that's where my hope lies. But I told you earlier, sometimes I get too fired up <laughs> and excited about guys, and, I, and I, I lose my perspective a bit. But, yeah, when you say who's coming back, I say everybody. <laughs> you're, you're probably right, Sam. You're probably right. Hey, man, I, I hope you're right because, you know, the irony in talking about Shondi, you remember when we talked to Randolph Childress, I think I mentioned this before. We were talking about him as a as a downhill guy coming off of ball screens, attacking the rim. Mm-hmm. And I remember asking Randolph Children specifically, "Hey, can he shoot?" And he's like, "Oh yeah, he can shoot. It just wasn't something that was showcased very much in this game here. But yeah, he can shoot the basketball." And then he comes here, and that's really what his claim to fame was. Uh, he he was more a shooter than he was a slasher. And if I'm trying to convince him to come back, I'm saying, "Hey man, 
you know, you're the guy we're putting in ball screen situations next year. You're going to be able to show uh, more of your offensive arsenal, getting downhill, getting to the rim, showing a mid-range game on top of what you can do as a shooter. Now, I don't know that that's – I don't think that'll be enough to convince him to come back. But, you know, if there's an argument to be made, Tim, that's the one. Very exciting to think about it, Sam. I um, Yeah. And it, it makes me even sadder just thinking <laughs> about it. Like, I was so looking forward to Michigan-Gonzaga. Man, man. And I, I'm not even sure – if I can watch UCLA Gonzaga, I, I, I feel that strongly about it. It might be hard for me to watch. All right. So how about we do this, Tim? We can uh, let's prepare for our guest, Coach Phil Martelli. And then after we talk to Phil, I want to get, you know, just some quick takes from you on how you think these freshmen will fit into the equation next year. In addition to the, the returning guys, let's assume we're going to assume for the sake of argument that the only guy that comes back is the guy that both you and I think is most likely in Eli Brooks. If that's the case, you know, how do we see the rotation? Look, what do we see it looking like? How do we see, who do we see stepping up and how do we see the freshman filling in? Let's do that a little bit down the line. But right now, uh, you know, fresh off of what was obviously a disappointing end to what was an amazing season, we get a, a chance to catch back up with Phil Martelli. Let's do it. I love Phil. He He's such a, a special guy and, deserves so much of the behind-the-scenes credit, not only for the development of the player, the, the creation of scouting reports and game plans, but the mentorship of Jawan Howard. All right, so we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back on the other side, we will be joined by Michigan assistant basketball coach Phil Martelli. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. And we are back, folks, here on the Michigan Basketball Insider, and it is a, a great pleasure to have one of the best coaches in the game come on the podcast once again to reflect upon uh, not just the end of the season, but the entire season and what was an amazing run uh, to the Elite Eight and the Big Ten Championship. We're talking about Michigan assistant basketball coach Phil Martelli. Phil, how are you? Uh, do you want me to lie or tell you the truth? <laughs> Always the truth. Always the truth. Uh, I am. Uh, I'm. I'm still very empty. Um, very disappointed for the players, for their families, for the staff, for the support staff, for the, the unbelievable fan support. You know, I'm disappointed that we didn't have one more practice and one more game. Um, and I could pretend and say everything's all right, and that wouldn't be telling the truth. So I'm, I'm always going to tell the truth, and it's empty, and 
uh, really tough. But you know, the sun did come up, and uh, we'll move forward. Coach, uh, the, the wounds are still healing, and, and uh, the pain is real. Uh, so we want to just take a deep dive, a hardcore look at, at, at the, the UCLA game. Uh, what were your takeaways uh, when you think back of UCLA? Well, first of all, I salute them. They were very physical. Uh, they had a clear plan, uh, which centered on physicality defensively uh, and and uh, shortening the game. Uh, that wasn't different from anything else they did in the tournament. Uh, they, they were, uh, very conscious of the fact that we were averaging over 80 points a game. They did not want it to get into a, an up and down game. And, um, obviously they found the hot hand and they, and they rode the, the hot hand. So, um, credit to, credit to them, uh, wish them well going forward. And, uh, you know, to me. It's always been a numeric game. Like people tell you about whether they want to call it analytics or, or whatever, or the eye test or whatever. But we had 14 turnovers. We were six for 11 from the from the uh, foul line. Scored 49 points and had one guy in double figures. So uh, whether the opponent that night was UCLA, whether the opponent was Gonzaga, whether the opponent was Texas Southern. You're, we're not winning a game like that in the NCAA tournament. Coach, the the um, the start of the game, Michigan looked tight, which surprised me uh, because you played in so many big big games, big venues. Uh, is that true? And and also, did UCLA do anything that surprised you? Uh, second part first. No, there was nothing that surprised us. Uh, we felt we felt well prepared, and I and I think if you if you take a step back and say, you know, yeah, we scored 49, they scored 51. They shot under 40%. Uh, so there was nothing that there was nothing that shocked us. I wholeheartedly agree with, with, um, with uh, playing tight. Uh, and I don't know where it came from. Juwan did a magnificent job in, in building up uh, to the game. Uh, we had a normal enough day, uh, and again, just pulling at straws. Uh, I don't know if the if the setting, you know, the late game, as our guys were stretching in the dark, like there was ambient lighting, but there was not game lighting. On. Uh, and the Gonzaga game was on the big screen. I don't know if some of that uh, led to being tight. Uh, we are an experienced group. Tim, you said that we played before going to the tournament, we played 13 games against NCAA level opponents. And every night in the big East, I mean, in the big 10 is like an NCAA game. Um, and yet we started so well, 11, four. Uh, and, you know, if you go back and break down those plays, it, it really could have been, it could have been 18, 20 to four. Uh, it wasn't, and um, you know the the unfortunate part is when I've when I've talked with 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 my friends, uh, they've brought it up, and and I acknowledge it. We 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 were tight. 
You know, Phil, one of the you, you talk about the numbers and one of the numbers that jumped out to me was around 50 percent on on shots in the paint. I've seen, uh, you know, 10 for 20 or 13 for 25. I don't know which stat is right, but 50 percent is basically what uh, is what they've been saying about the, the shots around the rim. And I'm curious, was was that something was that about UCLA, something that they were doing for you? Did they speed you up? Did they did they bother the guys around him, what would you attribute, uh, you know, the shots close in not being as efficient with that as you guys have been all season? I I, I don't really have a, a solid answer on it. I, uh, I think it was one of those nights. I, I really do. I, um, you know, it was an awful time for one of those nights, but it just, uh, you know, late – the, whatever it was, eight shots that we missed in the last five minutes, two of them were layups. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I remember them. And, uh, but it's not finger pointing. It wasn't, it wasn't any one guy. Uh, it, it wasn't a mistaken strategy. It was, um, we, we, we just didn't have the individual or collective flow that we had. All year, even even the games that we lost. Now, now I, I take Illinois out. I think I think Illinois uh, manhandled us, uh, but at Minnesota, uh, it wasn't. Wow, we missed so many layups. I mean, our foul shooting had, had gotten up to about seventy nine percent. We were, we were six for eleven, mm-hmm. and, and some of those misses weren't close. Right, it wasn't like that was a bad bounce. Um, and that and that contributed to it to it too. Yeah, you know we are we're all armchair quarterbacks out here, uh, and so I, you being one of the real coaches, I wonder if you can talk us through uh, that play down one coming out of the timeout uh, where where Franz shot the uh, the the three again. It's not a, a finger pointing question as much as it it is. Can you take us into what was the what was the call there? What was the design uh, and how it played out on the floor? Uh, it was in our pistol series, and it was designed to have him come off the ball screen uh, to his right hand, go downhill with Hunter rolling to the basket. If you go back and look at it, which I thought happened at the you know, at um, at the exact moment, they went under the ball screen and uh, they bumped into each other. Two defenders bumped into each other, and. Uh, it was it was a clean look. It's a shot that he has made. It's a shot that he has practiced. And uh, when it left his hand, when he raised up, I thought, well, this ball's in. But then automatically, I saw that it was short. So uh, again, there's no there would be no second guessing on the call. And I did spend time with him yesterday before we left Indianapolis, and I said, you know, uh, the courage to take big shots is really an example of your character not make big shots but do you have the courage to miss and so uh he was really down uh and i just thought at that moment in time he he needed to hear that i was proud of him for having the courage to take both those shots the shot the shot with about nine seconds left and then the shot with 0.5 coach i am 
I, I've constantly thought about the, the challenges of isolation, the fact that you spent almost three weeks in the same hotel, same room. Um, you know, what was a typical day like for the team and the coaches in Indy and, and, and how, how did you manage the, the emotions of the players to keep them up and, and dealing with all these challenges? The last part first, Tim, uh, you, you've heard me, uh, sing the praises of Juwan Howard, the, the, the stuff that he thought of, even, even as we were communicating via text, uh, he held everybody responsible the last six or seven days. You sent him a picture of your made bed. So one, it indicated that you were out of bed Two, that you were doing something, uh, productive and that you were making this feel like home. And, uh, at first I was like, wow, but it got to be almost like a, a competition with, with guys. Uh, so I, I marveled at that. Uh, you and I have talked about this support staff is second to none. So Alex Wong and Chris Hunter and Jay Smith, like just keeping these guys engaged. They were students. They were doing their classwork. Jay was on them about assignments and um they they you know in this program you you respond when somebody communicates with you you respond so that was part of it uh up and down for meals testing uh practice we didn't over practice whatever the slot was an hour and 50 minutes which we were assigned we did that we watched normal amount of film so no one could say well, you overhyped it and you made them tight because of watching too much film. That that wasn't part of it. Um, and again, we had nine seniors and they had a mission. So they kind of stayed. The hallway was quiet. It was never boisterous or, or uh, I studied a lot of their body language. I just tried to put eyes on guys every day. And... Um, I will say this, there was joy when we were out on the practice court. They were really excited to be, to be uh, on the court together. So su support staff, uh, Juwan's like, just messages to them. Uh, it, it was, and, that, and it wasn't easy. I mean, it was, it was, uh, I mean, the only time we were outside was to walk to the bus to go to the, the various practice sites if we weren't practicing in the convention center. So uh, I'll raise my hand and say, uh, if I was the oldest one in the group, it wasn't easy for me. I can't imagine what it was like for a 20-year-old. So what are, what are your favorite takeaways from this season? Wow. Um, the bench, their, their engagement in, in the games, uh, the absolute balance that these guys carried themselves with the emotional balance, even after the pause, uh, the, the balance in basketball, like, I don't think we were, I don't think we were a great offensive team. I don't think we were a great defensive team. I, but I do think we were a great team because, because of the balance, uh, going into a game, uh, 
and really knowing that we're going to find a way because of that balance. Like, uh, I would put that out there. Who was the most valuable player on this team? I, I have no idea. I really have no idea. But I will say this. The team was the most valuable. Every one of those 17 guys. Um, that that was that was uh, wonderful to watch. I think the growth uh, in Jawan Howard, um, it, it was for me. In, in that was that was just tremendous. And then there's then you have a little bit of these disappointments, like the brilliance of a Franz Wagner not playing in front of a packed house every night, even on the road for people not to have had a chance to really see him up close and how brilliant he is, uh, how cerebral Eli Brooks is, uh, to see the joy in Shondi Brown and, and, and Mike Smith. And I, I don't want to leave anybody out, but, but uh, I also would have enjoyed taking this ride with, with Hunter Dickinson because I think that Hunter over time will be the most beloved Michigan player at home. And it'll be the most, uh, <laughs> I, I hate to use the word hate, particularly during Holy Week, here, but he will be the most targeted player on the road because he's animated. Yeah, yeah, you can definitely, you can definitely see that. I, I'm curious, you being in the arena, I, I just felt like watching you guys all season, Phil, watching Jawan Howard, watching your in-game adjustments. Now, this is me, I'm not asking you to, uh, you know, to co-sign what I'm about to say, but I, I am asking you to take us inside and see if if you can tell us some stories about an in-game adjustment that you guys made collectively that you look back on and you were like, yeah, man, we we really dialed that one up because I just felt like you guys consistently, you know, outcoached the the other staffs you were up against. I felt that way, uh, you know, in some games in the tournament there for sure. Uh, and I'm curious if there are any moments that you can think of when you look back where you say, man, this this is a move that we we discovered in the game that really worked exactly how we drew it up. Well, I, two just jumped to mind as you were a- asking the question. Um, uh, we, we, were, we were in trouble against Oakland. We were in real trouble. I think we were down 10 in the second half. And... Jawan walked down the bench and pointed to Terrence Williams and Hunter Dickinson and put them in the game. And, and let's call it the way it is. But at Oakland, when we played Oakland, Hunter wasn't Hunter mm-hmm. at that point in time. He, he was not starting. Uh, and Terrence and Hunter switched in that game, got us to overtime and enabled us to win. And I just sat there and said, and I asked him the next day, where, where, because I have a sheet. When, when, you know, of of, um, of how he wants to sequentially sub. And nowhere was that combination on the sheet. Uh, that was one. And then the other one was the Ohio State inbounds against pressure where five guys stood out of bounds. We talked about that a year ago. Uh, and his library, that's my, his mental library is what is absolutely extraordinary. Uh, the ATOs are, are Jawan. Like, like he has those on a sheet, and he's ready to go. Um, uh, even the last play, when people say, well, what were you looking for? We were trying to get a lob 
to Brandon Johns uh, over the top. Why did Hunter inbound? Because Brandon's a better jumper, and we thought their five-man would be on the ball, which he had been all game. Uh, and that game, that play, we saw that at a summer tournament uh, last year. Not this summer, the past summer. We, we saw a team in the Peach Jam Championship run that, and he had it in his pocket. And, and really, as we were going to the timeout, I think it was Saudi said, Peach Jam. And so while they were resetting the clock, that was the play that was drawn up. Mm. Mm. Uh, wow. Mm. That's some great stuff. That's some that's great, great stuff. You ask a question, you wonder where it's going to go, right? That's some outstanding stuff. So, so, all right, so now, Phil, now take me into, you know, sort of the, the coaching uh, mindset or thought process in the day and age of, A, the transfer portal, B, <laughs> this, this COVID shirt, as I'm calling it, where guys can return – and you have uh, in a very talented incoming class and the conversations that you have with with guys on your roster about whether or not they're going to return. Can you can you take us into the considerations there, kind of the things that you're going to be talking to the players about when they decide whether or not they're going to come back or or move on with their basketball careers? Well, um, first, first and foremost, like this, this. Whatever anybody wants to think about, free agency or not, uh, basically what has happened is they've taken an axe and they've chopped off the bottom of the tree and there's no longer building a program. Mm -hmm. you're, you're literally building a team uh, every year. Uh, what we are going to rely on is the culture and the, the, the personal relationship with each and every guy. And to sit and talk with each and every guy and to express to them, uh, how does this fit for you? Uh, there's nothing magical, but because one of the foundations of this program is communication, that's not going to change. We're not, we're not, we're not going to hide from a conversation. Um, the young guys coming in, they're part of it. Uh, and And I don't really have an answer other than uh, each individual is going to be treated as an individual and uh, honest conversation will will take place. Um, I, you know, big picture. I, I don't, for the life of me, understand. I cannot understand why the NCAA moved in, moved forward with this with this free agency, knowing already that teams were going to be in flux on who was coming back and who wasn't coming back. They have, they have I, I just think it was a mistake. I really do. And, and uh, you know, I, I've been, I've been staring at one for the last 36 hours. There's a young man transferring from Colorado to Tulsa. Guess what? Last year he transferred from Tulsa to Colorado. Wow. <laughs> you know, like, see, like, watch you, you're basketball people, and you let, you think that's, like, seriously, I, I, you know, I bought a house last year. It's really a nice house, but man, I miss my own. I'm going back. Well, that's not the real world. Like, that, what, it, it, I saw a quote yesterday uh, from a 
parents say, well, you know what? He's not dissatisfied at his school. He just will find, find, wants to find out what, he's va- what his value is and what he's worth. So it just doesn't make any sense. Hmm. It, ju- it just. Uh, so. Um, and and it, here's another little thing like. Jamal and Michigan are hotter than hot. So we could have spent we could have spent as much time answering transfer questions as we did preparing for UCLA. That's how uh, prevalent it, it has become. Um, I, I don't know where we're going. I don't. I, I. I'm saying in the sport. I don't know where we're going, but I do know that for our program here, it'll all be based on individual communication. And and the continuing uh, relationship building. Phil, uh, my final question, and and thank you so much for for joining us. Uh, I know our listeners are curious on what the next steps are in terms of of the program, the the coaches. Do you guys get together, and and what are your priorities? What what you know? Do you take some time just to get away with your family and clear your mind? <laughs> Uh, what what is what is the next step for for the program and and for the coaches? Um, the first thing is going to be uh, individual sessions uh, with the players. I think that'll be just Juwan and the players. Uh, he is very 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 aware of um, you, you know I'm not crying poor here, but the coaches uh, Howard Isley hasn't seen his family since. August 15th. I haven't been September 1st. So the sacrifices that the coaches made and the support staff made, you know, give up your Christmas, those kind of things. Uh, I, I, I know that uh, Juwan is very aware of that. We're very conscious on these guys finishing the semester strong. Uh, we really can't get back in the gym. There's a seven day period after your last game. And then there's a seven day period prior to your First exams, so the first exams are all April 21st. Uh, there's no recruiting. So whether we're going to become uh, the master of the Zoom again is what I would anticipate. And, uh, uh, you know, scheduling will continue to, to be fleshed out uh, for guys that need need support. Uh, for instance, like, and, and I'm not telling tales out, out of school, but Isaiah liver surgery and... Uh, uh, Eli Brooks, grandmom passed away uh, on Wednesday morning, so they, they know that we're going to be there to support them, and uh, we're going to continue to 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 embrace, as Juwan would say, we're going to embrace this Michigan family, and uh, we may be away, but but we're not mentally away from this or emotionally away from anybody involved with Michigan basketball. I don't know about you, Tim, but let me let me just say that Phil, I, do you could obviously teach players a lot about the game of basketball. I think you could teach coaches a lot about how to do an interview, man, because every interview I've ever heard with you has been outstanding, and this was this was another one of those. I just want to thank you. I, I really appreciate your time. We really appreciate your time and insight. Well, I, I appreciate uh, I appreciate your passion and your support. And, um, you know, uh, 
I really, I really, really, really wanted to see the ball in the air on Monday night, uh, but it wasn't to be. So we will be back. <laughs> Thank you so much, Coach. And enjoy some time well deserved with your family. Thank you very much. Go Blue. What a great opportunity to catch up with Phil. I, I just got to thank him again, Tim, for spending time with us coming off a, a disappointing end like that, you know, tough thing to, to process. But you also have to look to the future with optimism. And I wonder, you know, I remember I, I think back to after the loss in the championship game, Tim, to Villanova. It was JP and Isaiah Livers. They were back in the gym the next day saying, hey, we got to get ready for next season starting now. So I'm curious, what do you think What do you think these guys are doing? I mean, what when you come off a disappointing loss like that, a disappointing end to the season, how do you turn the page? How did you, for instance, turn the page when you ran into that situation in your career? Wow. So, so it's a little bit different based on what we've gone through with COVID. But I remember my freshman year, we played on a Monday night on ESPN at the Carrier Dome against Syracuse. And we lost a really close game, 30,000 fans. We flew home on Tuesday. And Wednesday, I woke up and I went to class and I went and got some lunch. Then I went to the IM building and I played pickup ball for first day off. And what I remember is that um, on the team I was playing against, they had Anthony Carter, Stanley Edwards, Butch Wolfalk, and Keith Bostick. And, and I could not have been any happier to, to be there, you know, to, to, to go up against some of my football heroes and man, those guys were good. They could not stop Anthony Carter. And that probably doesn't surprise you at all. Um, that may not happen now because no one's at the CCRB. Nobody's at the, I am playing ball. And so based on the fact that there, there's no students on campus and this Michigan teams had seven months of isolation. Um, I, I think that their bodies need to heal, but more importantly, their minds need to heal from the isolation. I think, I think I'd like to see these guys go home, give mom a hug, sit on the, the couch with dad, you know, play with your, your family member, your little brothers and sisters, and just get away for a little while because what they've gone through has got to be so mentally and physically strenuous. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think that as we sort of look at what the roster will look like. We, we're projecting right now, and it's important to to frame the discussion that way. We're projecting Eli Brooks's return. That is by no means a report. That is not meant to suggest that that's, that's coming down the pike. That's what we think. Makes sense. Yeah, that it makes, makes sense. sense. Right. It, it makes sense. So let's say Eli's back. Uh, we, we both think Hunter's coming back, right? You've been adamant about you, you think he needs to return. I think we all can see what he needs to work on. Can he go over that left shoulder, diversifying his game some? Can he hit a, a 15-footer consistently, out, you know, out to an elbow jumper? Can he do that? I, I think that he has that ability. But let's talk about the other guys, Tim, starting with, with Brandon Johns. He's a starter next year. What do you see on the horizon for him? Do you think he takes the step that we saw Eli Brooks take when he became uh, a front-line guy for Michigan? I do. And with, uh, with Brandon Johns at the four, instead of Isaiah livers, you have better rim protection and versatility on defense. Brandon is seriously a guy that can cover one through five. And, and those players are, are so unique. Um, I would like to see him 
become a little bit more confident in his three-point shooting, but I don't want that to be the foundation. Uh, too many times this year, Sam, Brandon does does not handle the ball as well as he needs to. Um, you know, he he can have it knocked out of his hands. His handle is not tight. I think that he's got so much more potential as a playmaker if he can strengthen his hands and be able to finish a little bit better around the rim. Now, catch and dunk, that that's no issue. Put the ball on the floor, get to the rim and dunk, not an issue. But I think that if, if there's someone impeding his way, if he's got a transition, if somebody catches him off guard, I think he's a little bit loose with the ball. So I would work on his ball handling. All right. So then we get into what about Zeb Jackson? What about Terrence Williams? And what you see as being the next step in their progression for next year? So so I, I wish that you and I could have gone and watched practice for 20 minutes and just watched Zeb Jackson shoot because I have no idea if he can make a shot or not. And in the games, it's really difficult, right? You, you know, you come in there, you're, you're in a tough position, um, either that, or you're at the end of the game and, and you've been sitting there for two hours watching. I just don't have confidence in his shooting. I don't think he was ready this year. Maybe next year he will be because you can, you can really learn a lot from that freshman year and come back and say, okay, my coach has been saying, I've got to work on my jump shot. Now I see it and get, get 20,000 shots in next summer. And, and all of a sudden he's a, he's a good shooter. Um, he's got to feel some pressure because Frankie Collins is coming. Mike Smith could come back. You've got Kobe Bufkin and Isaiah Barnes, their guards too. Like, are there going to be minutes available? And I'm sure in the back of his mind, he's thinking, okay, Juwan Howard's not here to be third or fourth place and, and, you know, be a, a, an eight seed. He wants to win big 10 titles and get to the final four. I'm sure that everybody that's coming back is assuming that Juwan Howard is going to hit the transfer portal and yes. look for a duplication of the quality of what he brought in with Sean D. Brown and Mike Smith. Not only accomplished, talented players, but guys that are, are tailor-made to come in and play a very specific role. So I like Zeb Jackson. I saw him in high school. He's a superb athlete. I just think that he's got to be very aware of his spot on the roster. Yeah, and Terrence Williams? Yeah, I, I think he's a four-year guy. And I think for two years, he's going to be a role player. And as a junior and senior, this is the guy that is loaded with intangibles that can step into a starting spot and de deliver that toughness and that defense. And in close games, like you think, oh man, Michigan needs a play. Oh, I can't believe what Terrence Williams just did. That's miraculous. Like I could see him really developing into a key contributor. Yeah, I'm right there with you on both fronts. Uh, you know, with, with Zeb... I think, like you, when you talk about his ability to be a lead guard, he he was always more of a scorer than he was a distributor. A, a combo that was more two than one. And it's a work in progress when it comes mm -hmm. to running a team. I think that Frankie Collins, is a, as a true freshman, is more advanced as a lead guard. Uh, and it's why I think uh, if that's your scenario, if that's your point guard scenario, I think there's a good chance that Frankie Collins is your starting point guard. Now, what could change that is if, uh, obviously, if Mike comes back, but if they go, if, if Juwan is in the transfer portal, I know looking for some backcourt experience, some lead guard experience 
would be a primary objective. Uh, but I love, and I think you may have said on one of the prior podcasts, Tim, that, uh, you know, Frankie Collins, I think you called him the most important guy in the class. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that he is a guy, uh, a rim attacker. He can get downhill. Teams are, or players are going to go underneath screens on him, but he can still get to the rim. He's that quick and that explosive. Uh, you know, the limitation for him is going to be how pick, how quickly he picks up the scheme uh, and how consistent of a shooter can he become as a true freshman. Those would be the big question marks, but athletically he'll be there. Seeing the floor, he will be there. He'll, he's a guy who pays attention to getting the ball to guys in their sweet spots. Right now, Tim, just looking at the roster, not knowing who they would grab in the transfer portal, I would project uh, Frankie Collins based on the the dynamic of just Frankie Zeb and uh you know Frankie Zeb, Eli and Kobe Bufkin, I would project Frankie Collins to be the starting point guard next year. Well, I I think that more importantly than that, let's say Mike Smith came back, okay? I think that you'd see a lot of two point guard fronts where you've got Frankie Collins and Eli both can handle and play point or Frankie Collins and Mike Smith playing together. I know it's a tiny backcourt, but that's a that's a, a new age way to play the game where you've got two guys that can break down the defense and get to the rim and make a perimeter shot. I, I think that that would be a dynamic backcourt, not saying all the time, but, but really the, the, the flaw that Michigan had this year is that they were lacking perimeter guys that can just against a spread defense, just get by their guy mm-hmm. and get to the rim and make a play, get those kick out threes. That, that's really where Michigan could have benefited against UCLA. Mm-hmm. And Frankie Collins can do that. Caleb Houston, I, I think, comes in and fills a role immediately. You're talking about a guy that's 6'8", that's a knockdown shooter, Tim, and, and takes, he's going to come in. He's not one of those guys that is so in love with offense that he ignores defense. I mean, you talk to his AAU coach, you talk to anyone who's been around him for his development, they say he takes the defensive end of the floor very seriously as well and if you see a guy like Shondi Brown depart like I think he's going to this is a guy that brings you some of that length and shooting knockdown shooting ability outside won't call him the defender off the rip uh, but again a guy that I see giving you some of that shooting that you're obviously going to miss with the departures of of Shondi Brown and Isaiah Livers so do you project Caleb Houston as the starting three almost no matter what I do I do. Uh, you know, of course, that's barring a guy like Sean D coming back <laughs> or, mm-hmm. or, or them landing someone of of similar talent uh, in the in the portal. But I, I do right now. I'm projecting Caleb Houston to be the starter at that three and that being your 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 you know, your starting five. And then Isaiah. Oh, let me say one other thing, Sam. If 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 Sean D returns, how would you like Sean D? And move Caleb Houston to four. That's a possibility as well. I, I, you know, at that I would love it. I would love to see uh, I would, all that shooting on the court at the same time. I I would think though that they would still have Brandon Johns be the starter. I, I do. Hey, hey, let me get you really excited, okay? How would you like Eli and Frankie Collins and Shondi Brown, Caleb Houston as your one through four with Hunter Dickinson in the post. Does that sound okay to it, you? It's, it's, uh, it sounds really good to me. I just, I think, as you talked about Brandon Johns earlier in the show, I I think that you know, watching his development, 
and and what he brings to them defensively, as you said, he could guard one through five. You feel very, very comfortable with, you know, with, with him switching in. This is a guy that when you think about a team that switches every screen, this is the kind of guy you need on the floor. A guy yeah. like uh, Brandon Johnson. It's why I think that he is – it'd be very hard to see him not be in a starting lineup next year. Uh, granted, I like that. Yeah, that, I like that. That has, to be, that has to work out in practice. I'm not saying they would just give it to him. Uh, but I would be surprised if he if he weren't a starter. So right now, that is how I see it breaking down, barring something unforeseen with the uh, with the returners. But Isaiah Barnes, I want to get a couple of more comments real quick. Isaiah Barnes and Musa, Musa Giabate, I think that these are guys that play, that they, they are rotation guys next year, in my opinion. Tim, I mean, Isaiah Barnes, there are some scouts some bas- high school basketball scouts, even college coaches that I've talked to that say they think Isaiah Barnes has the most upside in, on this team. And then Musa Giabate, you're talking about a guy that can switch, uh, you know, one, one through five. That's a guy, Musa Giabate is a guy that's going to be able to do that too. So what I'm looking for from this freshman class is that we know that Juwan is going to fortify his upperclassmen. He's going to bring in some more established talent. What I'm looking for with this freshman team or this freshman class is that you've got multiple guys that are so darn good, you can't afford to not play them. You've got to find a way for them to get out there. And when you look at Gonzaga, they have guys like that, that, that are, are maybe not, not quite projected to be this good this early, but you have to get their talent level on the court. And I think that at the wing and, and, Kobe Bufkin, I think, is going to be a really good player, but I'm not sure if athletically he's that 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 drop dead dunker playmaker in the open court, star in transition. Quite yet, he can develop that. But it looks like Barnes could be that guy where you just have to find a way to get him minutes because he's a producer from day one. Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. Look, I think Kobe is springy. Co- Kobe can get up. What Kobe is right now is slight. Like, I, I just don't know that he'll put on enough weight, enough muscle to be, uh, you know, a, a primary guy for them next year as opposed to a guy who gets spot minutes here and there. He might be. I don't, I'm don't. i not putting a ceiling on him. He could pick up 15 pounds of, of muscle. So I, please don't take this as me saying he can't do it. Uh, but when you look at how the roster is going to look next year and where other guys are physically, I just think that they are going to be more ready for the, the banging in the Big Ten. If you know what I mean, but Kobe is another huge upside guy. I'll, I'll say this: the the biggest upside, the guys farthest uh, away from their respective ceilings, consistently. I hear the names Isaiah Barnes and Kobe Bufkin. There are people who think that when all is said and done, that these could be the two best players in this class. So let me ask you this: Is Musa? He's a five four, mm-hmm. and. Would he be your, your, um, he's your backup center, but what if, what if Austin Davis said, you know what, I want to be in physical therapy school. I'm willing to come back and play mentor again. Would, would, would Austin Davis figure into the exact same role next year? Or is Moose is so good at the other things that you would have to have him as your backup? Yeah, he, he's so good at the other things, man. I mean, he will not be the post player that. Austin Davis is okay. Not, no, not initially. I mean, he could certainly uh, develop uh, in a post arsenal, but that's not where he is right now. But he is, 
he is so athletic, Tim. I mean, so, so athletic, so quick. Uh, he is going to be another in the rim protecting ilk. Uh, he is going to be, he's going to clean up around the rim. Oh, as far as the glass is concerned, outstanding in transition. He's going to be, you know, you've seen his offensive game kind of develop facing up, uh, not to the point where I would say, hey, you're, you know, you're running plays to give him the ball uh, like you, like you might do a guy like Caleb Houston. Uh, but this is a guy that, you know, for a few dribbles can put it on the floor and get to the rim and, and plays with a, a motor that you're going to love. It's the kind of thing that makes you say, if Austin comes back, of course you welcome him back. But I just don't think the role is the same. I don't think the, the same sort of guaranteed minutes night in and night out are carved into the equation. It's more break glass when you need him kind of thing. And I just don't know if that if that fits what Austin wants at this so point. Here, so here, here's another hypothetical. Brandon Johns gets into foul trouble. I know that, that it's based partially on your opponent, but because there's a plethora of wing talent – do you you move Musa over to play the four, or do you go with with Houston at the four and you use your younger wings? You could do you could do all of that. <laughs> See, that's the thing that's going to be so great about next year's roster. It's as versatile as this one was. I mean, man, you'll be able to mix mix and match even more uh, when you talk about the length and versatility and athleticism that they're bringing in in this freshman class. So it, well, it creates a lot more scenarios. Here's what worries me. They may have 18 guys on the roster. That's a that's a problem potentially. See, I, I wonder if it, it would get to that point. I wonder if if the guys that are making the decisions to come back, and this is this is where the conversations get real honest. Uh and this you know Juwan is gonna be like this. I mean, you know, coach. So you got this heralded freshman class coming in. What do my minutes look like next year? And not 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 in a selfish sort of way, but you know, if I come back, I'm coming back to play, you know, so I, I could see that being a real honest and sort of frank come to Juwan moment, if I steal a phrase, like what what does it look like? And, and I just have a hard time seeing all those guys being around, even, even some of the guys that uh, maybe, you know, that some of your sophomore, I mean, Zeb Jackson, Terrence Williams. I mean, you look around this roster, what do some of those guys do if this roster is bloated to 18, if it looks like it's going to be bloated to 18 players. Yeah, that would be that's a challenge. That is a challenge. And I remember being a little bit sensitive when I was playing at Michigan, thinking, all right, Coach Frieder, you know, John Antonitis is here with me. He's seven foot. And you're bringing in Robert Henderson, Mr. Basketball, Roy Tarpley with immense talent, Butch Wade, Richard Ralford's a small four, but he's, you know, he can play power forward if he needs to. And Coach Frieder said, you know what? That's all true. And if you're as good as everybody says, you, you just go take the minutes yourself. And, it, and so that that's kind of the mindset, right? See, it, 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 it was, Tim. But now, see, new time. Transfer portal, Coach. I can go someplace else and play right now. Yep. <laughs> it, it, it changes things. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. The, the coaches that manage their rosters – uh, the best that that's going to be another element in really evaluating what kind of coaching job you're doing. It's why Jawan, uh, you got to be even more impressed with what he did. He went and added two two transfers that came in and played integral roles in their success, and, and and didn't play the same kind of roles that they played at the schools that they came from. That is just that's fantastic roster management, as far as I'm concerned. Agreed. And and I, I would imagine that 
Michigan will have the best roster in the Big Ten when we start in the fall, and it will be a combination of transfers and returning players and freshmen that are ready to go. Well, folks, what we're going to do, just to remind you, when we get in the offseason, we go into a biweekly schedule uh, where we go every other week with the podcast, where we get guests on, we get guys like the incoming freshmen on. So we're going to keep that up as we get into the biweekly schedule. But I got to, as we end the season, say, Tim, this has been uh, one of the most enjoyable seasons of Michigan basketball I've ever experienced, and it's not just because of the you know watching this team and the great success they had. It's because, man, I feel like the insight you provide uh, into the game and into this team colors the viewing and the enjoyment of this team uh, in ways that I haven't experienced before, and I'm hearing the same thing from a lot of fans, man. So I appreciate you, and I appreciate your partnership on this podcast. Uh, you're a good friend, Sam, and you're the perfect co-host. I'm lucky to be working with you and a hearty go blue, and, and I can't wait for next year. All right, folks, we'll see you in a couple of weeks here on the Michigan Basketball Insider. It was a very bright, shining light, Sarajevo, and they needed to kill that light. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. U2, they represent a personification of our resistance. The Hollywood Reporter hails Kiss the Future, moving and inspirational. Kiss the Future! Viva Sarajevo! Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply.